I did want to emphasize again um, with uh, that uh, Tim Johnson and Elias Joseph will be heading up uh, our financial empowerment ministry that Sheila talked about. Again, if you need some help, uh, these guys, one is a CPA and one is over much of the Pennsylvania state budget and stuff. He handles millions of dollars, including my portfolio. And so uh, just, um, and everything will be confidential. Today, we're looking at Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to start with verse 1, and we'll, we're going to skip some things, but I'm going to try to get the story of the Exodus in. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. That's something when a dog... You know, I walk through my neighborhood and dogs bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 12. The animals you choose, talking about the Passover meal now, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are eat to eat the meal, the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it fast. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then going to verse 23. 
When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave me. My people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me, by the way. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, they'll kill us all. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, and so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and there about six, were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock with both flocks and herds. After the ninth plague... God's final judgment comes. Time has up. The bell has rung. Up to now, no human life has been forfeited. But now the firstborn, both of human and animal-like, will perish in Egypt. Now Egypt's heart will be broken. Now Egypt's will will be broken. There will be a cry that goes up that it says was never heard before and never will be heard again. God is not just judging Pharaoh. He's not just judging Egypt. It says in verse 12 of chapter 12, I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I will show Egypt and the world that I am the Lord. All illusions of Egyptian power, all structures built around oppression and around idolatry will be exposed and destroyed. The real God, the I am Moses spoke to in the desert, will show the world what real power is. And who really is in charge of this planet? And it is not the false gods of Egypt. The judgment on Egypt's firstborn, you may have noticed, was what Pharaoh attempted to do to Israel earlier. Remember what Pharaoh tried to do? He tried to kill all the firstborn of the Israelites. Well, this is justice. What goes around comes around. Pharaoh suffers the same fate he tried to inflict. He is now reaping what he sowed measure for measure. You tried to kill the firstborn of Israel. It is now the Egyptians' firstborn who will go. The firstborn of Egypt, the heirs of power and wealth, the future of the empire suffers. In taking the firstborn, God shows he's the true Lord over Egypt by claiming those who thought they owned the place or would later own the place. 
God is demonstrating once and for all to the world's greatest empire just who is boss. You see, there's two parts to justice. One part is punishment and vengeance. The other is restoration. We as the people of God are to work on the restorative part of justice. We are to help people get back what was wrongfully taken from them. We are to help the poor out of poverty, like it says in the year of Jubilee. We are to stop oppression and make things right for all people. This is what we see when Israel is freed from slavery, restorative justice. This is what we see when Egypt's wealth is given as a going away present to the Israelites. This is restorative justice. Reparations are made, and they give them all their silver and gold as they leave town. By the way, the silver and gold was not for personal wealth. It was to help build the tabernacle when they got free. It was going to be dedicated to God. This is a restorative part of justice. This is our role. We are to help restore what has been broken in this world. Now, there's the punishing part of justice. And by the way, I, you know, sometimes people go, oh, we, justice is just restorative. No, no, God punishes. God judges. The difference is, is the, the vengeance part of justice is not our job. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God, not us, is in charge of vengeance. This is why I will not kill. This is why I will not support someone being executed. Why? That's God's job. Only he knows who deserves to live and to die. Only he knows the deepest motives of the human heart. Only he knows who can be saved and not saved. He is the final judge, not us. We often forget that justice is going to be done one way or the other. Did you know that? By the way, we have had justice executed on us. If you are in grace, if you are in Christ, 2,000 years ago, someone was executed for you who became sin. Someone suffered justice for us. And if you do not accept justice enacted there, God will execute justice somewhere else in this world or in the next one. I hear people say, oh, they got away with murder. Or, oh my goodness, did you see what that guy got away with? Or gosh, you know, people, people with this and, you know, uh, listen, no one's going to get away with anything. God sees everything and outside of grace, he will take care of everything. Don't think the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Jeffrey Dahmers of this world are getting away with anything. God will judge the evil of this world. Justice will be done. Rest assured, the day is coming. It came for Egypt. It will come for everyone who does not accept the justice of the cross. God told Moses to tell Israel the destroyer was coming after all firstborn. And the only way to avoid the de that, that death that was coming was to find a one-year-old male lamb or kid, goat kid, without defect, and sacrifice it, and then to take its blood and put it on both sides of the door frames and on top of the door frame. And where the blood was on the doors of homes, the destroyer, Moses said, would pass over. The firstborn of those homes would be spared, including all livestock. 
I'm sure this command from God was incomprehensible to the Israelites. Kill a perfect one-year-old lamb? Why? Why? Smear blood on doorposts? What in the world are you talking about? Imagine hearing this stuff for the very first time. See, we have 3,200 years of revelation that tells us why. We know the real Lamb of God and how his spill, what His spilled blood means. We know what they didn't. All they knew 3,200 years ago was that they needed to obey what Moses said even if they didn't know why. And to do it promptly, death was coming. Furthermore, they were told to eat light, stay clothed, keep their loins girded, whatever that means, keep their sandals on their feet. What God was saying is the night before of the destroyer and the day before the freedom of Israel, he would, what God was saying is don't even take off your shoes. Don't take off your clothes. Just take what you need. And by the way, pick up Egypt's silver and gold as a final withdrawal from the ATM on the way out of town and go when God says go. Be ready to go at a moment's notice. Don't even get undressed. That would be like me saying, you know, and think about that. Think about it. What if I told everybody in this room, in one hour, we are going to march to Missouri. <laughs> get, get ready. Get, what you, get all you can carry, but we're marching to Missouri, folks. I don't know why Missouri. But, but you see, that's, that's what they felt, you know. I'm getting ready to bust you out of this chicken outfit, God said. I'm getting ready to take you to your real home. The land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land of Joseph, that's where we are headed, and you are going to travel light. Get ready. I'm sure Israel had to leave all kinds of material possessions behind. I'm sure they weren't ready for what they had to do and how quickly they had to do it. But folks, sometimes, let me tell you something, we're rarely ready for when God moves. We're, you know, most of the time God surprises us. Most of the time when God comes in power in our lives, we didn't see it coming. You're not going to be ready when God comes, so don't worry about it. Because folks, it doesn't matter if we're ready to move. It matters if God's ready to move, and we better move with him. Often, I have found, God does not fax me detailed plans of his day for me. Sometimes he nudges us, and we need to obey, and obey now. Sometimes he says, speak, and we need to speak now. Sometimes he says, stand up, and we need to stand up now. Like the old Rolling Stones song says, when the Lord gets ready, you got to move. From Yeah, that was from Prophet Mick Jagger. Anyway... <laughs> That man of God. Anyway, for some of us, this process of obedience has been delayed too long. Stuff God told some of us to do years ago still needs to be done, doesn't it? Unforgiveness we've held on for years needs to be let go of. Don't you think it's time? Life changes God called us to are still waiting on. God told you some of us to repent of stuff years ago, and we went, later. For some of us, we don't need to memorize another verse of Scripture. 
We don't need to read one more Bible verse. We don't need to listen to one more excellent sermon from the senior pastor until we do certain things that God's already told us to do. More knowledge is not what we need. In fact, more knowledge will just make matters worse. Brothers and sisters, the pile of unobeyed stuff from God can't keep getting bigger and bigger. Obey. You know what? Here, I'm going to give you a couple of little things you might want to try. Obey just one thing that God has called you to obey. And you still haven't done Just try that. Do it now. Do it this week. Because knowledge without obedience turns toxic. We become cynical. The word in our lives loses its effect on us if we don't obey it. All that was required of Israel was simple obedience. Kill a lamb or a kid, smear the blood on the house, eat this kind of meal, be ready to go, and when I say go, go. How complicated is that? Because when you obey God, even when you don't know what God is up to, the Spirit moves. God moves. You know, some of us need to ask God to help us move. Some of us have stayed stuck a long time in certain places. Some of us have stayed stuck so long we're trapped. We are enslaved to certain things. People get enslaved to certain things all the time. One of my favorite writers is Mark Buchanan, and when he was 16, he became a Christian. He became a Christian because his mother got saved and his brother got saved, and he said, I started to long for faith myself. But I had so many questions, you know, the usual kinds, the questions that no one I asked could answer, at least to my satisfaction. Questions about the nature of God. Is he three or one? What's his trinity stuff? Is he good but weak? Is that why there's evil? Is he powerful but indifferent? Is that why there's evil? Questions about his ways. Why shouldn't good people on the basis of their goodness go to heaven? Why do the innocent suffer? Everyone to whom I pitched such questions tossed back answers that struck me as glib or clumsy, loosely memorized from some dumbed-down apologetics manual. So I was frustrated and found Christians as an easy alibi for why I wasn't a Christian. But still I found myself pulled towards God. That's when the Spirit's moving. Something was taking shape inside of me that was starting to affect my unbelief. One or the other had to go. And then one day it came to a crisis. Could I believe in a God I didn't yet believe in? I didn't know. I wasn't sure. But he said, here was my prayer. I asked anyhow. I asked for faith. I asked the God I lack confidence in to impart to me the confidence to have confidence in him, if that makes any sense at all. And he said, that's exactly what God did. He took this ill-formed and half-baked thing inside of me, a mix of wonderment and dread, and he turned it into faith, faith into the Son of God. He said it was a sheer gift. Sometimes you have to exercise the little bit of faith you have to get a bigger hunk of faith. To some of you, I offer this same hope. The belief that God can take your mustard seed faith and grow it into a great tree that birds can sit in. The knowledge that God can take your doubt and questions as well as your faith and grow you from there. 
The understanding that God can take this mixed bag of stuff inside you and draw you to himself anyway. Jesus answers prayers all the time that are mixed. He answers all prayers all the time that say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Like Israel, what we're called to do is not figure out the nature of the Trinity. We are not called to figure out the entire will of God. We are just called to take the next step. To go up and out from where you are, not where you think you should be. To exercise the faith you have instead of being paralyzed by the faith you don't have. Don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to be perfect. Just take the next step. That's what Israel did. You know, Buchanan obeyed the light he had. And now he's one of the great Christian writers in the world. Israel had no idea what was coming. On the first Passover, they had no idea what was coming. They didn't know what was going to happen. They really didn't know what they were getting into. I'm sure someone walked up to Moses and said, you know, how long do you think this is going to take? And I'm sure Moses said, "Uh, I I have no idea. What route are we going to take? You got a map? No. How will we feed 600,000 men plus all the women and children? Don't have a clue. We're going to be going through desert. How will we get our water? What's your plan? What's your plan, Moses? You know what Moses' plan was? He said, you see that pillar of cloud by day? And you see that pillar of fire by night? I'm going to get up every day and follow that. One step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time, and somehow I know I'll get to where I need to go. That is what we're called to. As I said before, we've never, we'll, we're, we're, we're hardly ever ready for what's coming. You know, you tell me most of life's big, big experiences in your life, you know, death and accidents and, 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 and you know, stuff. Did you see it coming? Were you ready? We learn, by the way, please get this. We learn as we go in obedience. We keep thinking, well, I'm not going to try to follow God until I can obey him perfectly. No, just, just go from where you are because you don't grow in faith by studying faith, but by exercising and using what faith you have. You know, I have muscles. You know what I've discovered about my muscles? They don't get bigger simply because I read a book of anatomy. It tells me about how my muscles can get bigger. What I have to do is pump iron. I don't even know what you pump. (laughs) Pump something heavy. (laughs) You can tell I'm not pumping. You know what? You know what I've discovered about, about stamina and running? You can read a book on running all day long and you never build up any stamina. The only way you build up stamina is you get out there and you run. And then you run some more. It's the same way with faith. You have to exercise what you've got. I love the book, you know, that says, you know, if you're going to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. I love that title. 
And in that book, it talks about Bob. Bob was an insurance salesman that lived in D.C. And one day, Bob became a Christian. Jesus got hold of him. And then he began to meet with Doug, who had a ministry in D.C., to learn about his new faith. Doug became his mentor. And one day, Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible. You know, it's, it's really neat sometimes to watch people reading the Bible for the first time. And they, they read stuff that we, we're so used to. And he, he came in to Doug and he said, Is it true? The Bible says, well, ask whatever you will in my name and you will receive it. Is that really true? And Doug, Doug said, well, it's, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in the context of the teachings of the whole of Scripture on prayer. But yes, it's really true. Jesus really answers prayer if it's according to his will. Great, Bob said then i got to check this out. i got to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. That's kind of a big target, Doug said. Why don't you narrow it down at least to one country? All right, said Bob. I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya? No. Ever been to Kenya? No. What do you know about Kenya? No. <laughs> but Bob said, I, I just feel like I want to pray for Kenya. So Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. And he said, Doug said, his, this mentor said, if Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, he would pay Bob $500. But if something remarkable happened, if, if Bob's prayers for Kenya got answered then Bob would have to pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off anyway. I love that. Gambling for Jesus. That's what you call betting on Jesus, yeah? Bob began to pray. And for a long time, nothing happened. But Bob, this new believer, praying for Kenya one night, was at a dinner in Washington. And people around the table were talking and explaining what they did for a living. And one woman there said she helped run an orphanage in Kenya. In fact, it was the largest orphanage in Kenya. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away. Oh no, God was answering his prayer, no! But he could not keep quiet. He roared to life. He had not said much to this point. But then he pounded this woman from Kenya relentlessly with question after question. And she said, you're obviously very interested in my country. You've been to Kenya before? No. You know someone in Kenya? No. You know much about Kenya? No. Then why are you so curious? He said, well, someone's kind of paying me $500 to pray. Oh, never mind. <laughs> she asked Bob if he would like to come to Kenya and tour the orphanage. And Bob was so eager to go, he would have gone that night. But when Bob arrived in Kenya, he saw poverty like he had never seen it, and the lack of medicine and basic health care. And upon returning to Washington, he could not get what he saw out of his mind. And so he began to write large pharmaceutical companies describing to them what he had seen. He reminded them that every year they throw away millions of dollars worth of medical supplies that went unsold. And so he begged them, 
would you, why not send this medicine that you would otherwise throw away, why not you send it to this orphanage in Kenya? And to everyone's shock, some of these companies did. The orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies for free. The woman called Bob up and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters you wrote. Would you like to fly over here and celebrate with us? We're having a big party. Will you come? So Bob flew back to Kenya. And when he got there to the party, the president of Kenya came to the party because it was the largest orphanage in Kenya. And while he was there, he offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital of Kenya. And during the course of the tour, they saw a prison, and Bob asked about the group of prisoners there. And somebody in the group said, well, they're political prisoners. And so Bob says to the president of Kenya, that's a bad idea, he said brightly. You should let them out. (laughs) Bob finished his tour and flew back home. Sometime later, Bob received a call from the State Department of the United States government. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Hillary, but it was somebody. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president of Kenya about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him he should let them go. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end, but now the prisoners had been set free. And the State Department, it had largely happened because of some guy named Bob. (laughs) So the government was calling to say thanks. You know, when I heard of this, and it didn't occur to me in the first summer, but it occurred to me, you know, Hank has set out a challenge. And Hank's challenge was, if you read the Sermon on the Mount every week on January the 1st, he is going to serve you a steak dinner at his house. <laughs> that, am I mistaken? That's a mistake? Okay. I, it was just for me, I'm realizing now. And, uh, and but what if? All of us took on a project. Maybe it's something in ourselves. Maybe it's something in our family. Maybe it's something in our neighborhood, our city, our world. What if every one of us said, I'm going to pray every day, maybe not six months, every day for three months or two months, and I'm going to pray for something and see what God will do. But here, here's the condition, because this is the condition Bob made. If you pray for something to happen, you've got to listen, okay? And if you listen, you've got to do what you hear. If God opens a door, you need to walk through the door. If God gives a nudge, you need to follow the nudge. Even if you think, well, it might be a mistake, I'm not sure. You follow it anyway. I think God finds that kind of thing irresistible. I think when people pray, and they pray, and they pray for something, and they're opening to being part of the answer for that prayer, who knows what will happen? 
Bob acted in the light of what he had. And because he did, he accomplished more than, what, a hundred seminary professors who know 10,000 times more information about the Bible. He, you know, one act of obedience is worth 10 years in church. Did you know that? One simple act of obedience is worth I don't know how many times you read the Bible because the Bible and the church is not given for our entertainment or to give us facts for us to mull over. It is given for obedience. Do we do what it says? Bob actually was dumb enough to do what it said. And he changed the world. Exercise the faith you've got. Take small steps for God. Open yourself up to new possibilities in every moment and circumstance. Seek God's presence in every situation. Invite God into all of life and see what happens. Because what happens ultimately isn't up to you. It's to the God who does miracles with people when we use the faith he gives us. Israel started on an incredible journey. Led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Their freedom was totally a gift of God and His power. They were on a journey that could only be successful if God protected them, if God guided them, if God fed them, if God healed them, if God led them. They were betting everything on the faithfulness of Yahweh. God doesn't need our strength and our strategies. He doesn't need our perfection He needs trust that leads to doing what he says when he says do it. It was total self-abandonment. They were utterly vulnerable, completely defenseless, and totally dependent on God to defeat Egypt and all future enemies. By the way, that's just how God wanted it, and it led to freedom. In one day, think about this. Can you put yourself in their place? In one day, 400 years of slavery was left behind. In one night, 400 years of oppression was broken. Approximately 2 million Israelites started walking away from Egypt. They had been in bondage, and now they were free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, they were free at last. They had been poor, but now they had the wealth of Egypt. They had been under a despicable despot, but now they were openly and freely under the rule of the God of their fathers. A whole new nation of free people was formed. It was something, I am sure, that stirred hearts like few few times in history was the day Israel walked out of Egypt, free men and women. You know, they say in some, uh, you know, Prior to the Civil War, in some of the secret church meetings where African-American slaves met, they, they often ended the service with, thank God, I shall not live here always. Thank God, I shall not live here always. You know, that is what the Israelites felt, except It was not, thank God, I shall not live here. It was, thank God, it's over and we're out of here. Praise God. And please hear this. 
It wasn't just Israelites in the crowd. Did you notice in the, one of the last verses I read where it said, others went with them? Many non-Jews who had been oppressed by the Egyptians. See, the Egyptians didn't just conquer Jews. They conquered all over the Middle East. There are all kinds of folks there. Freedom for Israel meant freedom for others. When Israel was delivered, it just wasn't for themselves. They took other people with them. When God calls his people out of Egypt, it's to free the world, to show the world what God can do. This freedom is for everyone who wants to join in God's liberation movement. We are called to receive blessings in order to be blessings. We are called to invite the world to join us on our way to the promised land. Hallelujah. God tells Israel, don't forget what I'm going to do for you this day. Don't ever forget it. Remember. Remember the day the blood was applied. Remember the day you were spared from judgment. Remember the day you were delivered from death. Remember the day you were saved from Egypt. Pass it on from generation to generation. Never forget. Today we are called to do exactly that. Jesus wants us to remember our exodus from the grip of the dominion of sin. Hallelujah. Free at last. He wants us to remember our exodus from un when we got out from under the dominion of Satan. Free at last. He wants us to celebrate the fact that the world cannot own us and control us anymore. Free at last. He instituted the New Testament Passover. That's what our communion is. It's the New Testament Passover. He did it while he was celebrating the Old Testament Passover. This is our Passover. We are now free too. We are now loosed too. We are part of a new nation too. Remember the day you were set free? I remember the day I got set free. Hallelujah. I remember the night I got saved. I will never forget it. It was like, oh, I don't have time. Do you, or maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Do you realize the day you, that you were free? You can't remember a time or a place, but you're, the, when you realized you were free, remember when the blood was put on the doorposts of your heart. Remember when death of every kind was defeated. Remember and celebrate. we got to take one minute. I want you to thank God for your freedom. I want you to thank God that you have passed from death to life. I want you to thank God. Maybe you have a memory of it. Maybe you don't, but I want you to just take a moment and feel what you felt the first time you realized that or experienced that. What did you feel? I remember that night so clearly, so clearly. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The ushers may get up. We're going to have communion today. Again, for communion, we're going to sit in our seats and we're going to partake of communion together. We ask you hold the bread and the cup till we all can partake at the same time. 
You do not have to be a member here. We just ask that you love the Lord. And, you know, we, if we, we do have, if you're allergic to gluten products, we have gluten-free bread in little packets in the plates. They are there for you. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We follow his example. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the indescribable gift that you have given us, that we have been spared, that we have been invited into the kingdom, that you are taking us to the promised land. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for grace that surrounds us and holds us and takes us every step of the way. In your name we ask it. Amen.
brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread. Remember, he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. when Jesus was betrayed he also took the cup blessed it and gave it to his disciples we do likewise Pastor Hank will lead us in prayer Holy Spirit thank you for calling us back home Father God we thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son Lord Jesus our Christ we thank you for the blood which you freely willingly and lovingly shared on Calvary's stream to set us free to bring us back home and that's so we can be sons and daughters of your Father, our Father. In his name we pray. Amen.
brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. like you to stand as we worship and sing our final song I'd like the intercessors to come forward again we never take for granted there may be someone who really really needs prayer and we don't want you to walk out of here without prayer and so you can come for prayer for anything but I will say this as we're get gathering I would like at least 10 people take up the challenge to pray for something every day let's say for three months and be open to listening to the spirit and walking through the doors he opens I don't expect everyone to do it I expect some people to start and not finish but I think if there were 10 people it would be something that would change 10 lives forever and maybe change this church in some way forever so I extend that invitation to you to Check out and see what God can do with a little faith and some obedience. Let's worship the Lord. Shout, hallelujah, 
Some of us got to go to national holiday. There's football on later. But if you need prayer for anything, please come up. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are indeed worthy of all the honor, worthy of all the glory, worthy of all our praise. We thank you that you're the one who sets us free. God, help us to be people who walk in your light. Help us to be people who are bold enough to be your light. Help us to be people who are willing to live our lives open to you. Lord, take our prayers and let them go up to you. Take our lives and let them shine for you. God, bless your people now as we go, as we live to be a blessing, to please you, and to change our world. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. God be with you.